What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. A Dear Media original podcast. Hi, welcome to Good Instincts. I'm Shira Barlow, but you may know me as the food therapist. Join me every Thursday for the same thoughtful support to help you close the gap between where you are right now and where you want to go. This should feel good, like really good. And it will, I promise. So today I'm really, really excited to introduce you to a friend of mine who is an amazing breathwork expert. Her name is Ashley Neese. She's an author. Her newest book is called Permission to Rest. And I'm really, really excited you're here because I think I really need to have this conversation with you today. And I feel like collectively in terms of rest and a conversation around rest and how to actually do that. I, I'm just really excited. And I think that we all could use it. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. I'm excited. And the reason I really, I think that you're so important is that obviously rest is important and we need to rest, but how do you actually do that? Like, I don't have the ability to take the whole day off and skirt all my responsibilities. And I think that you come at it from a really practical place. And I think that we're all needing that. And one of the things you talk about in your book is the stress response cycle. And I was wondering if you could explain what that is a little bit, and then we'll talk a little bit, hopefully about how we can like really practical ways of how we can kind of get out of that. Yeah. Thank you for that introduction. And I'm just so happy to be here and be connecting with you today. Mm -hmm. And as far as the stress response cycle goes, it was really important for me to learn kind of science behind how our physiology works, how our stress works, and really how we rest as humans and how we can access rest. And so I got into that because I was noticing in my life that stress seemed to compound, right? And so let's just say, let's take a week, for example, by the end of the week, by like Friday or Saturday, all these stressful things have happened during the week. And I was noticing by the end of the week, I would just be so bombarded and feel so lethargic, feel so exhausted. Sometimes I would get headaches or start to feel sick. And I'm like, I'm just compounding my stress all day long. Like, what can I do about that? How can I shift that for myself during the week? And when I started doing this research, what happens with the stress response cycle is that it's a cycle that's meant to be completed, right? So there's a beginning, a middle, and an end. And so for most of us, what that looks like is we get triggered by something in the environment, a conversation, traffic, a fight with a partner, work stuff, whatever that is, emails, right? I know for emails can be really triggering too. It's like, oh my God, the never ending inbox. So like a stressor happens and then our nervous system gets ramped up and we're kind of going into that fight or flight mode. There's all the chemicals, there's all the hormones that are happening in the brain and body at that point. And then often we get to that point and then we just go to the next stressful thing. Mm. And so what needs to happen in those moments is once we go up, 
we need to help our bodies come down. And that can we can get into what that looks like, but essentially that's what it is. And so for a lot of us, we're kind of going and we're doing the first part of the stress response cycle. We're getting activated, we're getting triggered, all the chemicals are happening in the brain, and then we're just stuck there. And then the next stressful thing, and then the next stressful thing. And when we talk about stress in the body, what we're looking at is all of that compounds. And you know this so well from your work too, because it's so connected to health, to diet, to sleep, to all these things. But if we don't have a way to kind of downshift throughout our days and throughout our weeks, that's when things can get really challenging for us in terms of having health issues and insomnia and just all kinds of stuff. I love the way that you explain that because, yeah, it is really interconnected with what I do, especially because, you know, I think for a long time, if anyone's been trying to like eat healthier, be more mindful in anything, we kind of more or less know what to do. Like we know that we're supposed to be paying attention to what we're doing while we're doing it and not like, you know, eating for emotional reasons, eating because we're hungry and all these things. But if we haven't been able to do that, a lot of us worry it's because we don't have willpower. We just don't have it within us. But a lot of us, it's like because we we're not able to downregulate in that way and pay attention to what we're doing while we're doing. Now, I'm sure with, you know, everything that you're talking about too, in the same way we kind of brought us into this conversation, which is that like, listen, are we going to be able to be incredibly mindful in absolutely everything that we're doing? Probably not. But I think bringing awareness to yourself and bringing awareness to your body, oh my goodness. And your breath is like so good for everything. And the other thing that I think that is really important about what you just said is that something that's been really helpful for me, because listen, we all have stress in our life, is that a certain amount of stress is actually healthy without any stress, we wouldn't like get up in the morning and, you know, have any motivation. And so it's more what you're saying, which is we have to complete that cycle. And how do we actually do that? And it's not that our bodies weren't made to withstand stress, but they were made to have rest in between. Is that, would you say that that's right? Yeah, that's exactly right, Shira. That was really beautifully articulated. And, you know, my thing is always just like you, it's like stress is happening. Yeah. And especially in the field that I'm in, I always hear so much about, we have to downregulate, we have to downregulate. It's almost like that's the kind of primary goal. And there's, you know, I've heard this in my community as well. It's like, oh, the sympathetic nervous system, like yeah. that's bad. Like we never want to get activated. And yeah. I love to your point. No, we need that sympathetic activation to really get out of bed in the morning to exercise, to play with our kids, to do our lives. But the thing is what we're looking at and what the key distinction is, it's not that all stress is bad. We're like, we don't never want to generalize that. It's the compounded stress that doesn't get discharged. That's really what we're looking at. So again, I like to take the cycle of a week or even a month. It's like at the end of the month, have we taken any time to downshift? And you know, the other thing I want to say too, because I'll have clients will be like, this sounds, what you're saying sounds stressful. Are you asking me to Every time something stressful happens to like go into a downshift response, absolutely not. Like that's just not practical. Sometimes we're just, the things are stacking throughout the day. But what I do offer and what I do suggest is let's say even at the end of the day, at the 24-hour cycle, you're going, okay, today was a lot. What can I do for just two minutes to just downregulate myself, which is going to help me sleep better. It's going to help me wake up better. It's going to help me be able to make you know, more aligned choices for myself Mm. the next day. Those are the things that we're really looking at. It's less about, oh my gosh, I have to kind of, you know, like you said, watch every single thing. It's not about that at all. It's really the way that I teach this too. It's just check in with yourself. 
like our bodies know when we've had a really tough week or a really tough day and we need a downshift. And the beauty of this work too, is that the things that our bodies can do that are scientifically proven to downshift our nervous systems and complete the stress response cycle are really easy. Mm. They're like super easy and a lot of them are fun. And so that's what I like to bring in too. It doesn't have to be, oh, I got to go meditate for 30 minutes or go do this strenuous exercise. It can be laughing. It can be hugging. Mm. It can be drawing. It can be dancing. It can be breathing. So it can be activities that actually can bring us a lot of joy and help us shift our state as well. I think that that's so beautiful. And I think it's really important. And I was looking at your book earlier before this interview, and I was looking at the vagus nerve reset. And it did, there was a simplicity to it that I would love if you could share a little bit on, but it is something that you could do in the moment and it doesn't take a ton of time and you can really connect back with yourself. And I really do think that that is what it's all about. Having like these little micro moments of reset and rest, because again, I think that for most of us, we have busy lives. We don't have the ability to like take the afternoon off. I think, you know, this idea of self-care, it's so beautiful and so important, but I think being able to like have it in really really realistic ways in micro moments is so helpful. So I was wondering if you could walk us through some of that. Yeah, I love that you brought that up because it's such a simple, again, a simple and proven practice. And it's one that I often teach folks, especially in the beginning of the work, because my my kind of intention is always to share practices that are effective. And so the beautiful thing is a practice like the Vegas nerve reset just takes two minutes. And when I learned this, I was honestly really shocked that it worked because my teacher who you know, offered it up. I was like, this seems really silly. Like, I'm just going to put my hands behind my head and look to the left and then wait to yawn. Like, how does this actually work? And he's like, just try it. Just try it. So I put my hands behind my head, which is what's suggested in the book. You're going to interlace your fingers, place them kind of at the base of the skull. So you want your pinky finger and your ring finger up at the top of the skull. And then the other three fingers down your cervical spines with the base of your neck. And then you just hold your hands there. And this practice, you can do this lying down or seated. And then you'll just shift your gaze to the left and you'll just look and hold and just wait to yawn. And as you're waiting for that yawn, your vagus nerve and your whole nervous system is getting a reset, which is so beautiful. And when the yawn happens, that's when the whole system downshifts. And what's so interesting about this practice is I remember when I was looking to my left, the yawn came really quickly. But then as I looked to my right, it probably took me a good two minutes to yawn. And I was really surprised by that. And it really shows you just right off the bat, how balanced or imbalanced your nervous system is. And so that's why this practice is so potent is because it actually resets your nervous system to bring it back into balance, bring it back into homeostasis. So this is a really beautiful thing to do. And you can check yourself. You can go, oh, wait, it's like harder to access on my left and easier on the right. And it doesn't have to be this thing about we don't need to get into like why this is and make it a whole big thing. Oh, is something wrong with me? All that kind of stuff. But you really just want to check it out and go, oh, this is interesting. And again, the practice can just take two minutes and I always feel just so like centered and aligned afterwards and downshifted. It's also a great thing to do before bed. I love doing this before bed Mm. because it can really just help consolidate everything and get you kind of primed for sleep or anytime you need a moment. Like you can do this anywhere. You can do it in your office. You can do it at home with your kids. Just it's such an accessible and easy practice that really works. I am so happy you shared that because as I was driving over here, I was thinking, you know, I think everyone, no matter who you are, but I think especially as parents, you have those moments where 
someone needs something immediately, something else is going on. Maybe you get an insane email and everyone needs you all at once and you feel like you're at a 10. And I was wondering, like, is that what you do when you're at a 10? Is there anything else that you recommend in terms of like, how do I, like everyone says, put your oxygen mask on first, but like, how do you actually do that in the moment when you feel like you're truly about to bubble over? I love this question so much. And it's so, it's so relatable to me. And I think it's so relatable to so many of us in so many different ways. I had these moments sometime at the end of the day, it's been a long day. And I'm in the kitchen and, you know, I've got one kid on the counter. I've got one kid tugging at my knee. I've got another kid in the, you know, baby carrier. And I'm like literally cooking. It's like all the things, you know. And sometimes, you know, everyone's like, or or like two kids are crying at once. And it's like, okay, then there's this going on. And then the phone's ringing. Those moments happen a lot in my life. And yeah, so the Vegas nerve reset is great. But often in those moments when it's like there's so much going on, I just put my hand on my heart and a hand mm. on my belly, and I just do three breaths. I mean, it's so simple. Mm. I just do three breaths, a long inhale and a long exhale out of my mouth. And that's really, really important for me because for me, what that does, it just starts to shift things quicker. You can go in through the nose and out through the nose, and that's beautiful and restorative. But in those moments, I'm really just needing that quick kind of reset. Mm. I'll inhale through my nose as long as I can, and then it's just a exhale out of my mouth. Mm. And what's beautiful about that too is all my kids will just look at me and then they start breathing, you know, and then all of a sudden everything's like, ah, Mm. okay, what did you need now, little one? You know? Yeah. I love that. You know, it's so funny. I don't know if you saw this. There was like this viral, at first it was a TikTok thing, then it was an Instagram thing. It actually turns out that it wasn't true and it was just kind of an analogy. But the analogy was that I guess there were these beautiful redwood trees and there was a chemical injected into them that was close to adrenaline. And these trees that had been around for thousands and thousands of years died within a year because they didn't get to winter. And this idea of wintering and really like taking that time. And and I think about winter a lot because I've been really focusing on cycles like the menstrual cycle and that I really consider that winter. And so I think for women that cycle, I've been you know, thinking about this idea of like a built-in time for extra rest. Not that, again, we're taking the whole day off, but that we are going inward. We are, you know, warming from the inside out with beautiful warming foods and taking more rest in terms of like exercise that we would normally do during ovulation that we hold back on during that time. And I was wondering what wintering meant to you and if it was there was a seasonality to it at all for you. Yeah, there's definitely a seasonality to it in terms of there's definitely more rest for me in the fall, in the autumn, and in the winter. I tend to live by the cycles as much as I can. And my family and I moved out to the Sierras a few years ago. And living out here is that's part of what drew us out here. We're like, we just want to live where there's more trees than humans. Like That just sounded really good to our nervous systems. And to be able to live in a house where we're just flooded with natural light during the day, at night, we keep the lights off and then we're kind of going to sleep with the sunset and waking up at the sunrise. And even just that simple shift of adjusting our circadian rhythms mm. has helped so much to really be in that cycle, right? So that's a 24-hour cycle. Yeah. And that feels deeply nourishing and deeply restorative. But in terms of the seasonality of it, yeah, there's just more time in my life in the fall and winter where I'm really devoted to, I would say, longer stretches of rest because that's what that energy calls for. It's like really that deep energy of slowing down, 
going inward, kind of going into that little bit of a hibernation mode so that by springtime, it's like, okay, let's get outside. Let's plant those seeds. Let's start some new projects. Let's see kind of what we can grow based on all the soil tilling and like all the rest that we've done in the winter. So there's something really like poetic and beautiful about the languaging around that too. And really looking at like throughout our lives, like when can't, when can we have some seasons to slow down and really let things germinate and let things kind of settle so that we can go out and expand as the season shifts. I love that. I, I really love that. And I think, you know, people might be listening. I think a, I think it's so helpful, especially like the, even the hand on your heart, hand on your belly and breathing in and out three times. Like that is the most simple thing in the world. And yet sometimes you kind of need someone to spell it out for you. And I find that way with food too. And I've talked about it a ton in terms of like this idea of like a dopamine menu, like especially like if you know there's like times of the month or times where you're something tough is happening, like what could you pull from that could like really quickly shift you out and like downregulate? So that's so helpful. But I think people could listen and hear you and just your energy and think, oh, well, she's always been like this. Like she's always kind of had it figured out. And I happen to know that this was hard work. And I think as practitioners, a lot of us tend to go into the field where we've, you know, had to struggle in some ways. And I was wondering if you could share a little bit about that journey for you and how you got here in terms of how this is so important for you, but also how, how this has helped you tremendously. Mm. Yeah. I'm really appreciating that you just wove all that together and and this used to happen a lot, especially when I lived in LA, people would, you know, I'd kind of meet people at, you know, different cafes or different events and stuff. And they're like, oh, you just are like so calm or this or that. And it's like, no, no, like, <laughs> sure. Like there's parts of me that are, and there's ways that I can do those things. And also I'm, I'm struggling just as much as everyone else in different ways, you know? Um, but for me, kind of my history and where I come from and all this work is, things really started shifting for me in my early twenties when I stopped drinking. And that was, I know it's like now like quitting drinking and, you know, kind of sober curious and all these things are out, Mm -hmm. which is so great. It wasn't like that 20 years ago. It was a really different scene. Um, when I was getting sober and going to AA, it was like most people were much older than I was. And it was just a really different kind of world back then. There wasn't as much kind of in the collective consciousness and research around trauma, for example. And, there wasn't a lot of this information out there. It was just kind of like, this is what, this is what the option is. It's like, go to these meetings and try to connect with some other people who aren't drinking. And, and that was the, that was the path. But, you know, there's so many different things that led me to that moment to choose a different life. And I also had a lot of privilege because I had parents who saw that I was struggling and um, spent a lot of money to send me to a rehab center where I could, you know, have a lot of support. You know, Mm -hmm. I was fed, I was, you know, going to classes, all these different things. So I had a lot of opportunities to, to change and to heal. And I'm super grateful for those. I, you know, I often wonder had my parents not prevent presented me with that opportunity. I don't know where I would be. I know that at that time in my life, I was looking ahead, you know, I was 18, 19, looking ahead at my life and going the rate that I'm going, I just knew intrinsically, I was like, I'm not going to live to C30. Like, there's just no way for me Mm. at the speed that I'm kind of going down this, the spiral, like it's not possible for me. But when I was presented with that opportunity to go to rehab, there was some part of me that was like, this is it. Like, this is my shot to get out of here and have a different life for myself and I'll do whatever it takes. And I did. And I've kind of run with that for so many years. It's like, okay, what's the next layer of my healing, what's the next piece of the work that I need to do. And 
all the sobriety led me really right back into trauma. You know, it's like, okay, why am I drinking? Why am I using drugs? Why am I trying to escape my life? Why am I disassociating? Why am I having sex with people who are horrible to me and just totally checked out all these different aspects of my life? And when I started getting deep into the somatic work and in the trauma work, then I was really able to start healing. I think that sobriety initially gave me an entry point into that because at least at that moment, I wasn't you know, intoxicated. So I was able to do the work that I needed to do to really heal those deeper layers and have some actual repair. But it's you know, I say this for anyone listening, it's, it's still a lifetime journey. Like I still don't drink today. That's a choice that I make, but it's more, it's more coming from a place of, I just want to be present. Yeah. I want to be present with myself. I want to be in my body. I want to feel all the, like the full range of emotion, which I didn't have the capacity to feel when I was younger. I had so few tools to be able to regulate myself, to be able to have capacity for nuance, to have capacity for complexity, to have capacity to process grief, right? I just didn't have any tools. And so I feel like for the last 20 years, I've just been out there like this little squirrel, just like collecting all these tools or like, sometimes I think of myself like a tortoise. I'm just like collecting all these tools and like putting them in my shell and letting them sit and integrate and then sharing them, you know, as best I can with the world, not from this place of I'm perfect. I've got it all figured out. But hey, here's this thing that helped me. You know, breath work really helped me. Resting has really helped me. It's really helped me get more in my body and more present and more attuned and live a life that I want to live. And that means a life that's full of grief and pain and also one that's full of just a lot of joy, like deep, deep joy and satisfaction. Wow. I thank you for sharing all of that, first of all. And And second of all, I think that that's really helpful to hear because again, like I think you could easily just think that someone has always had it all figured out and always was really centered and always was really grounded. But I think that that for most people, I would say takes real work. And the thing that really resonated with that for me is that, you know, I've recently started taking on a lot more eating disorder clients and I used to really shy away from that. I used to I used to refer out because I don't think I was totally prepared to hold space in that way for that specific group. And I I think there was something about it where I just knew that it took so much love and care. And what I'm finding now, and it's it's so, it's really beautiful work. And what I'm realizing is that so much of like the cookie cutter treatment is focused on just refeeding and the whole thing, which obviously is an important piece, but no one's taking into consideration why that happened in the first place, which is usually a coping mechanism, a very unhelpful coping mechanism for trauma. And I think by ignoring that and ignoring kind of the like original wound, it's really hard to to get there. You could get there for a little bit, but to, like in a really real way. So I think, you know, this idea of like looking inward, being able to be really present about what that is, there's a whole lot of grief and pain that comes with that. And I, I have experienced that tremendously in my own life with my own divorce and and everything that came with that and like really looking at it and being like, wow, this is so hard right now and feeling that and everything that comes out of that and everyone I've ever talked to that has really done that in a real way knows that there's a lot of beauty that comes out of that too. And so I'm really grateful for you sharing that story. So, mm, thank you, you. You know, 
I I think that this is so incredibly helpful. And I was wondering if as the last thing we do, if you wouldn't mind just leading us in like a very short breath situation that we can leave people with so that if they're listening, whether they're, I mean, ideally, maybe if you're driving, probably not, but whether you're like on a walk or you're doing dishes or whatever, that they could kind of like feel that truly. Yeah, I would be so happy to. Thank be you happy to. so much. Yeah. So for those listening, you are welcome to do this practice seated, welcome to do it standing or lying down. So you got three options. If you're feeling tired, like really tired, I definitely suggest lying down. Otherwise, seated or standing. Standing practices tend to like bring more energy. So it can be a nice thing to do if you're feeling tired and want to feel grounded, but also more awake. So those are kind of the different options and the different reasoning behind those options. So I'm seated now, so I'll just practice this way because it'll be easy for me. You're welcome to have your eyes open or closed, whatever feels the most comfortable for you. And then if you're seated and just have your hands kind of resting on your thighs, palms facing up or down. And then from here, we'll take just a few moments to breathe together, inhaling through the nose, exhaling through the mouth. So just allow yourself to breathe as slowly and gently as possible. You don't need to control anything or force a breath. Just a really inhale through the nose, a soft exhale out of the mouth. Good. And then when you're ready, we'll transition to breathing in through the nose and out through the nose. Just take your time here, inhaling for as long as possible, exhaling for as long as possible. And again, just inviting in a lot of gentleness, a lot of ease. We think of these moments that we're taking together to breathe. It's just kind of Allowing yourself to have some care, some attention, some slowness. Inhaling through the nose, exhaling through the nose. And we'll just take one more minute together. Just nice and slow inhales, gentle exhales. really giving yourself permission to take this time for yourself and just honoring that it's important and that you deserve it and that you're worth it and that there might be many other things that you need to tend to when you stop listening to this podcast and that's okay. But for right now, I'm going to invite you to just bring your awareness to your breath into your body, into your heart space. So often there's so much going on and our attention is just outward all day. And so I invite you in these few moments to really bring your awareness inside. Give yourself that gift of presence, of attunement, of care. Go. 
right? And then let's take three rounds of breath together to close. So we'll go inhale through the nose. Hold. And then exhale through the nose. Good. Two more just like that. Inhale. Hold. Exhale. Last one. Inhale. Hold. Exhale. Good. And then just take a moment here before you transition just to notice how you're feeling. This is a really important part of the practice just to see. It's one thing that feels different. It's one thing. Ashley, thank you so much for that. That was literally a couple minutes, probably at max, and I feel different. I actually really needed that. I feel like probably a lot of other people did too. I think you are so incredibly special. Permission to Rest is out now wherever books are sold. Where can people find you? Thank you so much. It was such a pleasure to be here. And you can find me on uh, Substack at The Deeper Call. You can also find me on Instagram, Ashley underscore niece. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to Good Instincts, hosted and written by me, Shira Barlow. You can find me on Instagram at Shira underscore RD. Good Instincts is a Dear Media Daily. Please note that this episode may contain paid endorsements and advertisements for products and services. Individuals on the show may have a direct or indirect financial interest in products or services referred to in this episode.